Hosanna, a fellowship of Christians. Good morning. All right, let's stand as you're able and let's worship God together this morning for he has done great things.
together. Praise to the Lord.
And we're going to have Kelly come up. She's going to give us some announcements. I don't know if any are going to have to do with VBA. I have a guess. I just returned from vacation last night, and I almost didn't come back. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah. I see. Yeah. No music, no VBA. No, I'm just kidding. No singing. Thank you, worship team. Thanks for being here this morning. Hi, everybody. My name's Kelly. For those of you who do not know me, uh, I'm the children's ministry director. Thank you, Jeff. Um, you know, I was standing back there, and I, and I see some friendly faces, some new faces. So let's take 30 seconds. 30 seconds. And say hi to somebody. Just do that quickly. and Share a little love with somebody. Crossing the aisle, way over to the other side. Rain them in, says Beth. All right, five seconds. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. I think it's it's nice to to greet one another and just have a moment of um, just acknowledging each other's presence that we are here. So uh, I'm happy to be here today. Those of you who are online. Um, welcome as well. Those of you who are maybe new to Hosanna, it's your first time, welcome to you. Um, we extend uh, uh, our love to you. So um, let's do announcements, or not announcements, this is announcements. Let's do offering, but before we do that, uh, please join me in a word of prayer. Jesus, as we sang today, what a beautiful name it is. And I was thinking, it's a beautiful name, it's a powerful name, it's a loving name, it's a grace-filled name. It's a forgiving name. It's a friendly name. And I'll say again, it's a loving name. You bring uh, love to us. Help us to to give that love away, to give that love away to um, all those here, all those that are paths crossed this week. Have love all over the gifts that we are giving today to um, to help spread your word. We thank you, Lord, for everything about your name and everything about who you are. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a couple of announcements today. Um, It is July. Hard to believe that it is July. And the Change for Change offering this month is going to go towards blessing our families for the holidays. Not too soon, but I think about six months ago, I talked to you about the summer. Well, now I'm talking to you about the holidays. Um, Not too soon to start thinking about that. So don't forget to drop your change in the Change for Change so we can less families in our Lidditz community with that. Um, I'd be remiss if I stood up here. I'm not even going to tell you how many weeks it is to VBA. I'm going to tell you it's seven days. Uh, Okay, Joey, your details, details, but seven days or one week until VBA. Um, So just a couple of things. First of all, I want to send out a profound thank you to those of you who that have stepped forward and filled in some, some pretty big holes that we had. So thank you for that. Also, thank you to those of you who are bringing in food um, to donate to feed the volunteers. I still see a few more things out there and a few more things that need to be brought in. It's not too late. Um, So next Sunday is fine to do that. 
we would appreciate that very much. Um, I want to thank you for the toilet paper rolls. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, that's okay. Um, now I had asked uh, that you bring in toilet paper rolls for a craft that we're doing. And I came here this morning and saw that we have a lot of toilet paper rolls. So I'm appreciative of that. Um, what else? Um, oh, for the volunteers, those of you who are going to be volunteering in any way for VBA, a reminder for our hero hotline that you need to wear your lime green Hosanna t-shirt next Sunday that distinguishes you as a volunteer. Um, it's a way that we, um, just a way that helps us monitor who's here and who's interacting with the children. If you are volunteering and you're new this year and don't have a, sh a shirt, see me. I have a few extras from last year. So feel free to just see me and I can help you out with that. And also, um, oh, two more things. Next Sunday when you come in, this is not going to look like this. Um, this week, we are going to be transforming the auditorium to our theme for the week, which is Hero Hotline, and a cave where the Hero Hotline takes place. So uh, we're going to be transforming, uh, like I said, that. So next week, when you come in, it'll be a regular message, but you'll get to see the whole set for VBA. Um, also, next Sunday, if you are volunteering in any way, our meals for volunteers start at 445. Prior to that, I would like all volunteers here at 415 so that I can have a brief meeting with you in here um, at 4.15 in the auditorium just to go over some final things. So 4.15, I'll be sending out an email about that too, but just wanted to throw that out there. Um, I ask you to pray for us for VBA, pray for the volunteers, pray for the kids. We are pushing 50 kids, um, which I'm really happy about um, and excited for. So if you could just pray for all of us and that we have a, a great week, which I'm sure we will, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, and with that, I ask Tony to come up and introduce our speaker for today. Thanks, Kelly. And by the way, we will not have just a regular message next week. We've got something special for you. So we'll just leave that a little bit of a mystery. Uh, but we do have a guest speaker today. Before I introduce him, however, I just want to say, first of all, thanks to good to see all of you who are here on a holiday weekend. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so many people traveling and everything. We actually, we are one congregation, thus the one thing up here, but we participate three different ways. And some of us are gathered normally here, and some are simultaneously online, live with us now, and others catch the service later in the week. And uh, th those people keep switching. So what I'm, what I'm about to say is that God has been sending us a number of new friends uh, and we get to know the ones a little bit better who are here in the building. But if you're fairly new with us online, we'd love to know that you're out there. So please send us an, send an email message to the office or call in or something and let us know. Or if you've been participating more frequently, we hear those kind of stories once in a while. But we actually have no way, we have no way of knowing who you are. And uh, so uh, that would be lovely. I do that a little bit today because our speaker this morning is... Uh, one of our new friends, whom probably some of you have gotten to know, but most of you haven't. And this has just been a gift from God to get to, um, to get to know Caleb and Ashley Simmers, who have been with us for the past six, nine months, something like that. Caleb, we came in, just love, love the spirit of this couple, love Caleb's spirit. Um, but we found out that he was, uh, had been a, in church ministry, was the uh, pastor of family and uh, student ministries at a church in North Carolina, and uh, <laughs> came to Lancaster to work in a ministry that tries to provide housing for uh, homeless uh, women and kids. 
And Caleb is really passionate about that. And rightly so. This is part of the heart of Jesus. And I just love to hear him get excited about that ministry. When he's not with us, he's out speaking on behalf of Bridge of Hope, which is that ministry where he serves as a director of church engagement and housing or something like that. Did I get that close? Okay. So I'll shut up now, and we're going to hear from uh, Caleb this morning what God has given him to say to us. Thanks, Caleb. stuff ready. Thank you for having me. You guys have been very kind to me and my wife the last few months, and we appreciate that. I have friends in, drove all the way from the west side of the county, Jonathan and Christy. Thank you for coming to support me today. I appreciate that. But not to be outdone, my mother-in-law heard people were going to travel far, so she decided to outdo you and fly in from Arkansas just to be here for this. Just playing. She did not come for that. <laughs> She came because she's expecting a grandbaby and wanted to see some ultrasounds. Uh, that's the truth, yeah. She doesn't care. She cares about me, but not that much. There's something wrong. Jeff, I can't preach like this. There's something wrong with this pulpit. Uh, let me see. Something is just not right. I got it. Actually, uh, when we talked about me preaching, Pastor Tony said I needed to bring him a drink, an energy drink. That's the only way he would let me speak here. And I said, Pastor Tony, why do you have to have an energy drink when I'm speaking? And he said, after all of the amazing messages I've given over my life, it's really hard for me to stay awake when someone else is speaking. Uh, <coughs> so I have to bring him an energy drink to keep him engaged. Joanne, if you're watching online, you take the brunt of all these jokes all the time. I'm trying to even the score in 35 minutes for you. All right. We'll go ahead and get serious for a second. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence. We know you're here. Would you help us trust that you're here and sense that you're here? Would you ease my spirit? Would you ease my nerves? Would you help me speak with clarity? Would you help me only say the things that would build up and edify your people? Keep me from saying anything that would be a detriment to anyone here today. As we open your word, would you speak to our hearts? Would you move amongst us? In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever lost something of great value? It's just gone. And you have that moment of panic when you realize that it's gone. Twice in my life, I've had moments where digital files were lost. Once was in college. I had a knucklehead roommate who's a pastor now. <laughs> it's a Bible college. And he decided to stick a thumb drive on the side of my computer, so the next time I'd open it up, a fake virus would pop up on my laptop and say that my information's being hacked. And this is 2005, so... LimeWire, Napster, I might have had a virus, how do I know? I'm... For the millennials, you guys remember LimeWire and Napster? Uh, so maybe there was a virus, I don't know. So I tried to back everything up on an external hard drive. He's my roommate, he's seeing me do all this for like two days. Never says anything to me. I think I have everything backed up on a hard drive, so I reformat my laptop. 
but it didn't save to the hard drive. This is November. So I have class projects that are gone that I've been working on. I've got all my notes for the semester gone. And somehow we're still friends. Uh, he's actually one of my best friends. He was in my wedding. I was at his wedding. But that moment when I realized all of my work for the semester was gone, there's a moment of panic. Like, what, what, what do I do? Where, how do I, you can't start over. So I'm like talking to classmates, trying to, can I compare notes? Can I, can I, can I try and put something together? Then a couple of months ago, he said we work with families facing homelessness here in Lancaster County, and part of my job is creating databases for landlords, so our case managers, we're looking for a house in Ephrata or in Lidditz. We have our list of landlords that they can immediately reach out to to see if there's any openings. So I was working on this list, trying to get it updated. There was a lot of like documents that were floating, and I was trying to get everything on one, one report. And then I got covid so it wiped out all of my meetings for the week. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to use my sick days. I'm going to use the next couple days to get this project done. So I did. All day, three days in my office at the house. We work on shared files. And somebody else had the shared file opened. And they disconnected from the VPN. And when they reconnected, they saved where they were at and saved over three days worth of work, and it was gone. And I was happy. Uh, <laughs> I was furious. Like I, I, I'm coughing, pacing my house. Like I can't believe this happened. We have an IT company that we hire to outsource some stuff. I paid them an hour and a half to search through everything to see if they could recover it. It was gone. So it, was, it wasn't. It wasn't anywhere to be found. Uh, so all that to say, we're going to talk about some things that are lost today. And I know that feeling, that feeling of panic of all of my hard work is gone, or this thing that I value <coughs> is gone. Uh, and we've all been there, whether it's a, a car key and we're late to work on our first day and we can't figure out where we left it, or our cell phone, can any of us live without those anymore? I would like to try, but I don't think I can. We all we buy these little key tags now that we put on stuff so we can pull up our phone and find those things because that, that feeling of panic, it's no fun, right? Maybe it was something bigger. I remember one time uh, my middle brother got lost in the Exton. We grew up in Chester County. He got lost in the Exton Mall. He hid in one of the clothing racks in Macy's. <laughs> and my mom's panicking. He's not coming out. And she goes to the front office, and, or the front desk, and says, I'm looking for my son. He's wearing this. And somebody in the store said, we just saw a child leave the store in that outfit. So we left the store. But he never actually left the store. We walked and combed that whole mall with security guard, and the whole time he was hiding in a clothing rack. But for about an hour and a half, there was some legitimate panic of where is my child? And maybe it was the 2008 financial crisis. Maybe it was things that we lost in COVID that we don't think we're ever going to get back. We've all felt that weight, that pain of loss, and we've searched and we've franicked. We've searched the purse three or four times. I don't know why. I'm not going to throw my wife too far under the bus, but you already looked in the purse twice, hon. Like, I don't think dumping it out one more time is going to help you find it. It's not in there. But we're desperate to find the item that is lost. Does anybody listen to This American Life in here or know what This American Life is? I've got a couple. Uh, Ira Glass, I was listening to uh, him talk the other day about how he created the podcast and 
back in Chicago, he was working, where he lived was across from a seminary. And if you don't know the show, it's basically, they'll take a topic and they'll tell three small stories about experiences around that from American life. This American life. But it all has a through line. It has like an overarching theme to the story. And so he's just absolutely excited about this show, taking off. There's a radio show in Chicago. And he was sitting out and having coffee one day, and a seminary student walked by, and he was telling him like all that he did and how he worked on this project. He has this new, brilliant idea of storytelling. And he told the seminary student, and he's like, do you mean like a sermon? He's like, no, 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 no. It's you take three stories that all have a through line that connect together and have an overarching moral idea. And he's like, 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 a, like a sermon. That's what, that's what Jesus did. And he has a Jewish background and hadn't studied much the teachings of Jesus. And the seminary student opened up this story and showed him three parts to the same story. And he said, I thought I invented something that happened 2,000 years ago. So we're going to jump into a story with three parts, with one through line that talks about this idea of being lost. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, in verse number 1. In Luke 15, 1, I want you to pay attention to who shows up to hear Jesus preach. The tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Tax collectors are hated, like vitriol. And we kind of, well, if you don't know what that feels like, next year's an election year, just watch the, watch the news and how your friends post about it on social media. Uh, yeah, enemies, you're the opposition. You're, it would be like, we got a lot of, we have this, we just came through this debt ceiling looming and we owe all these other countries money. And it'd be like one of those countries, say China, were to take over our, our economy because we owe them so much money. And somebody in this room decided to start collecting taxes for China on behalf of China because they're a local and they understand how our local economy works. They know where the farm stands are. They know where the cash transactions are. They want to make sure China gets all of their tax money. And you can't just hire the carpenter you know down the street to do work without paying taxes on it. So we'll get some locals to collect the taxes. That's what this would be like. Rome's the empire. They've come in. They, and they've hired locals to be the tax collectors. So everybody else is looking at the person that they grew up with and says, you're a traitor. You're collecting taxes for our political opposition. We, we, we trusted you. You were our family. You're our cousin. You're our neighbor. You're our friend. I went to elementary school with you. How could you? So when tax collectors show up, they're not very well received. And then <coughs> it says notorious sinners. Sinners is kind of like a catch-all phrase for people who are otherized or outcast. Uh, it's kind of the detestable, the... Even Pastor Tony talked about it last week. Many times people even with diseases would often be considered sinners. They brought a man who was blind and said, who sinned? He was blind from his birth. Did he sin or did his mom and dad sin? So, so sinners is just kind of the catch-all of people who are, who are downtrodden or outcast or otherized, or they could be notorious, notoriously criminal. And so we have these two in the audience and Jesus constantly surrounds himself with these people. Like, this isn't uncommon for Jesus to be in the presence of sinners and tax collectors. This is a norm. And I think one of the signs that the Western church has kind of gotten the message of Jesus wrong is our pews are too clean. They're not messy enough. We all put ourselves together and we show up and where's the tax collectors and the notorious sinners? Where's the people that when they walk in, everybody's like, 
Does Jesus have space for them? Yes, he does. We've cleaned it up. We've polished it up. And then who gets upset? Verse 2, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with him. Eating with him is very significant in Old Testament law. The religious leaders, right? They, 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 they have their mule and they get that fish brand and they brand it on the back of their donkey to let everybody know they're Christian when they're going down the highway, right? And they have their religious garb that they bought from the Christian bookstore or the Hobby Lobby that has just like scripture verses written out on their clothes to let everybody know that they're Christian. And when they were in Sunday school as children, they got blue ribbons for hand washing. Nobody washes hands quite like these guys, right? They're the religious elite. And they're ticked off that Jesus would sit down and eat or that he would share in the presence of tax collectors and notorious sinners. They're pushing people away from God and they're making religious spaces just for cleaned up people. The chapter before, in fact, they got mad at Jesus because he healed somebody on the Sabbath day. You can wait till tomorrow. They've been, they've been crippled for 20 years. Like, what's one more day? What? These rules that you're creating, they make, they make no sense. We'll see why here in a minute. But as a master storyteller, we're going to get into that part that we talked about, one story into three parts. Verse 3, Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors saying, now catch this phrase, because we're going to figure out who the, who the searcher is here in a second, who it represents. Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. I need you to keep that haven't strayed away also tucked in the back of your mind. Next verse. One more slide. Thank you. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call in her friends and her neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So if there's joy in the presence of God's angels... Who's the one celebrating and throwing out the joy? God is. They're experiencing his joy. If his angels are, there's joy in their presence, it's, it's God's overflowing joy, his excitement, because what was lost is found. What, what he was searching for has been brought home, swept the house, found the coin, searched the mountainside, put the sheep on her shoulders and came home and says, would you rejoice with me? Would you be happy with me? Would you be excited with me? And we've all, we've all been there. If, if we were to lose something significant and we were to find it, we'd immediately post it to Facebook or for me, would go into my group chat with my best friends like, hey, that thing that I was freaking out about, it's been resolved, I'm excited. Uh, or or we, would, we would have told people on the way in today before we sat down, hey, for the whole week long, I've been looking for this. And would you just be, would you share my excitement for just a minute? I know it doesn't really affect you all that much, but I'm really excited and I need to share it with somebody. Would you, would you just be excited with me for a moment? I found 
what was lost. He's drawing on experiences we all have, whether it's losing a pet or a job, a family heirloom, a retirement account or pension, and the joy we would have when this issue would finally be resolved. And Jesus says, use that feeling of joy, that joy that you know that you would experience. Would you, would you put yourself in, in the Father's shoes and understand that's the feelings that arise in the Father when someone comes home? That same excitement, that excitement where you'd want to tell everyone, that's the excitement that the angels are experiencing in God's presence. I would have paid a significant amount of money if somebody would have found my college notes. I was broke as a college student, but I would have found a way to take them to dinner. We would have celebrated. Verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now, before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. At about the same time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. Remember who's here. We have tax collectors. We have sinners. We have people who feel like they have been outcasts. People who feel like they don't have a place to belong. And they can begin to identify that maybe some of this is some of the choices I've made. This this son kind of took what he had and and ran. So so maybe even some of the mess that I'm sitting in, it it might be a a result of, of, of my choices. And just understanding the impact of of where this is, uh, and then just thinking about those who are in power. Like, Jesus told those first two stories, and they're kind of nice. Like, the coin found it, sheep found it, really didn't ask for any retribution, didn't really, act, didn't really talk about any consequences, and they know that Jesus is talking about outcast people. They're not, they're not blind to that. These people just, oh, the coin's found, and that's it. But here, well, this son's sitting in a pig pen, Finally, finally, Jesus, let's get some restitution. Finally, these people who have made these choices, who've made a mess of their life, it's about time you start calling them on the carpet because you're just letting them get away. You're letting them feel welcomed, and they haven't done anything to get here. They don't understand that Jesus is showing another side of God's grace. Romans 1 talks about how God, in his grace, will give us over to what we believe will satisfy us or what we believe we want so it'll wear us out. We'll wear ourselves out in it. The father didn't have to give the inheritance to the son. The son couldn't force the father to give him this money. The father gives it to him out of grace because the son has to learn to understand that this money that I think is going to satisfy me isn't. I have to come to the end of myself. And some of us are so smart that God has to give us over to the things that we think we want, so we'll come to the end of it and say, it wasn't it. But we're, we're too smart to be told that from the beginning. We've got to go do it. And so that relationship you think will satisfy that man, that woman that you'll throw your life into might leave you broken. 
But that's the only way you would come back to the Father. Or the lie that we all believe here in Western culture that just a little bit more, I just need a little bit more, like I'm kind of comfortable, but if I had a little bit more, I'd be happy. Okay, you can give yourself to that and I'll, I'll let you. But you're going you're gonna to wear yourself out. And this is just Jesus showing God's grace of allowing this younger son to wear himself out so he'll get to the place that he needs to be. And then the pigs. Sitting in the slop. Can, you, can, you, can we just appreciate how far this son has gone? We're going to learn here in a bit that the, they have servants. They have money. They have wealth. He goes from living in this house to sitting in the slop and is so desperate, he's, he looks at that and says, man, I'm hungry. Anybody feel real ready to sit down and eat right now? Like He's sitting in the slop, and he's hungry. And this actually will really get the crowd going, because they don't live in barbecue country. He said we just lived in North Carolina, barbecue country. Terrible barbecue country, though, because it's all vinegar-based, and I need some sweet to it. Sorry. Sorry, my friends from, from North Carolina. I need some sweet in my, in my barbecue. Um, but when he says the boy is sitting with the pigs, that's detestable. That's uncleanable. There is no amount of Sunday school hand washing that you could do to ever clean yourself up from sitting with the pigs and with eating them. He's hopeless. He's gone. There's nothing we could do. There is no hope for this son. He can't be fixed. Verse 17. When he finally comes to his senses, he says to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am I, here I am, Dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Will dad hire me? At the end of the lies that he believes, the son is homeless, he's hungry, he's lonely. Sure, money patched some of those holes for a while, but he's run out of those resources. And he starts getting jealous of his dad's housemates. Now, we all know what happens uh, when we have to talk to our parents, right? Sorry, sorry, hon, but your mom's sitting here. Uh, we start playing the conversation in our heads. We start writing the script. I had three brothers. All right, let's get our story straight. We've got to go talk to dad. Well, dad, what happened was I had a plan. It's not going the way I thought it would. Well, you see... I was wondering if we could create the scenario, take some ownership, suggest a solution. We all do it, right? That's how, that's how we're going to get out of, out, of, out of the nonsense with our father. And the tax collector's sitting there thinking, am I going to have to become a house servant in order for God to love me? And the clergy's like, yeah, it's about time you pay for the wrong you did. What's this negotiation going to look like before God lets them back? Finally. And the prostitute's wondering, what would, it, what would it cost me for God to love me? And the clergy is beaming. This messy boy, he's getting it now. Everything that he deserves. And then verse 20. 
So he returned home to his father. And it was after he apologized and all these things that the father was filled with love, right? No, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced him and kissed him. He said to him, and his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is one of my favorite reading between the verses, silences in all of scripture. Does the father address the apology? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robes and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the fatted calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And I love this phrase also. So the party began. The party began. This is insanity. This is, this is wild. This is scandalous. This is nuts. A few verses earlier, this boy looked at his dad and said, my life would be better if you were dead. Give me the money. That's actually what will satisfy me. He said that. He said, I, I, I need the estate money. I'm leaving. I want, when you finally die, I'm going to get some money. Give it to me now. I'm out of here. And the father sells some property. He cashes out his 401k. He liquidates some assets to give to the boy so the boy will leave. What? Why? And then the boy goes and parties. The Bible literally says wild living. He's, he's, he's partying it away on drugs and alcohol in the early 2000s. We called that wild and out. There was a TV show called Wild and Out. Uh, he ruins the family name, and now he comes crawling back with his tail between his legs looking for a meal and a bed. And this gracious father doesn't even hear the apology speech. This respected man is running. We don't do that in our culture. The religious elite are like, what? He hoisted his robe and ran down the street in front of the neighbors? Like, what are you disrespecting yourself for? We're dignified people. We don't do this. In the middle of his apology speech, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Let me be a servant. No, 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 no. I'm not having any of that. My son is home. Someone get me the best robe. Go kill the biggest calf. Son, do you want ribeye, T-bone, porter? You know what? We're going to go Brazilian steakhouse style. We're butchering the whole calf. We'll cook it all. Eat what you want. We're having a feast. We're having a party. This is great. Go kill this fatted calf. Get me some juicy steaks. Son, here's my ring. The signet that shows that you're a part of the family, oftentimes bringing with it power to make decisions on behalf of the family. Son, here's my ring. You're in. My boy is home. You're family doesn't even hear the apology he stops in mid-sentence nah, don't worry about that I got, I got this you can't say this with a frown on your face the father's beaming his boy is back he delights in showing mercy and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And grace is getting the things that we don't deserve. He's showing so much mercy by not relitigating all of the things the son has done. I'm, I'm showing you mercy, but beyond that, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you all of these gifts that you did nothing for. That's why it's called grace. Otherwise, it would be a paycheck that you earned. He's just lavishing gifts 
of grace on the son. The father takes the weight and the burden of all the kid had done wrong. Don't even talk about it. I'll fix it. Come into the house like you never left. Now here, Keller would say the title of the story could be called the prodigal father or the prodigal God. Because prodigal not only means wasteful, but it means to spend until there's nothing left to spend. And it seems like the father's willing to go bankrupt for his son if that's what it takes. He's already given him a good portion of his wealth and he wasted it. He seems to be willing to go to whatever extent it takes for his son to come home. And the original hearers, they would see the father's actions as wasteful. They would have been appalled at the embarrassment of the, son, of the father. There's instructions on what to do with rebellious sons in the Old Testament. And that's what they would expect Jesus to want to happen here. This would seem wasteful. And they couldn't believe that Jesus would disgrace a Jewish man, even if it was just in a parable. But if you equate this to God, that's blasphemy. You've crossed the line. And this would be one of those moments where Jesus is teaching that the message sets the crowd against him until his death. Because you've crossed the line. You don't know, you're not respecting our laws and our traditions. You're putting yourself in a position that you have no business putting yourself in. Now, this would seem like a natural stopping point for the story. It's the same structure as the first two. We have a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son, and a celebration. That's it, right? We've, we've closed the loop. A difference maybe between the sheep and the coin pieces are the, the first two. There's, there's no blame to be put on the sheep and the coin, and maybe the son has some, I mean, clearly has some responsibility that we all would see that he should take in his actions. We see that the one who's lost took an active part. Maybe like the tax collector. Maybe like the sinner. But we also see this pattern. Sheep outside the house, coin inside the house. Prodigal outside the house. There's a little tension there. We don't have a closed loop. Who might this represent? Who fills this tension in the story? Now, I'm getting ahead of myself. The party's going, right? The party began. This next verse is awesome. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and what? He heard music and music I get. I've been places where they've told me to turn the music down. How hard do you have to be going at it for somebody to hear you dancing from the field? What type of party are you throwing that I hear dancing from the field where I'm working? Uh, this isn't a nice sit-down meal with candles with Frank Sinatra or Dean Martin playing in the background. This is a bumping party. They're dancing and you can hear it from the fields. So anyone who says faith is boring doesn't realize the best parties are thrown by the Father. Uh, Jesus' first miracle is turning water into wine just to keep the party going. And this celebration goes back to verse number 7, where it says, will you rejoice with me? Remember, this is all one story. The father's throwing this party. Will you rejoice with me? My son is home. And this is how the family 
the church should respond. There should be real celebrations about people finding their home with the Father. It should be what gets us excited. It should be what we're known for, and quite frankly, it would be a much better reputation than what most churches are known for currently. If we were known for throwing the best parties for the downtrodden, that's a pretty good reputation. The welcome home parties there are unbelievable. Verse 26. And he asked one of the servants, what is going on? That's a, that's a cue for me. Whenever I start talking to someone else about things that are going on, rather than just going directly to the father, I may have some older brother syndrome uh, going on. Uh, What's going on? Your brother's back, he was told, and your father's killed the fattened calf, and we're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. Angry, furious, he won't go in. You know, toddlers are the ones that do things that only hurt themselves, right? Like they need to go to sleep and they'll just sit there and cry and cry and cry. And what they need to do is go to sleep. And what they're doing is just things that only hurt themselves. And it's out of a lack of understanding. It's out of maturity that they'll, they'll grow into in some understanding at some point. Well, some of us will grow into some point. Some of us just need a meal and a nap when we're having a bad day and we just refuse to do it. So some of us learn it. Not all of us do. But he's just throwing a fit. I'm not going in. What? A party for him? Why? No, I'm not doing this. And who are you hurting other than yourself? And, and pouting? That's, that's the move you're going to do? You're going to sit out here and just sulk? There's good food. There's good music. Everyone's having fun. I'm not going to enjoy it. Can't make me. I don't care. I don't care what cut of steak they have. I'm not going in there. Dad comes out and pleads to him. Rich Flotus says this, some of the angriest people are the ones who perceive they've always been good. Dad comes out and he pleads with him because he loves this son just as much. Now for me, it's easy for me to get excited if a person who's been an addict or an alcoholic or an outcast, an ex-convict or homeless, come to Jesus easy for me to jump in and be, man, what a great story. That's amazing. Welcome him in. Throw open the doors. Turn up the music. Let's go. However, when someone starts pitching a fit about them being here, I don't have the same grace for them. I quickly begin to judge the judges for the way that they judge. I know it doesn't make sense, but it's what I do. That's not the father's move. I would tell, fine, sit out here. I don't care. Don't eat. Maybe that's the way I was raised. If I didn't like the meal, my dad would say, tough. This is what we're having tonight. Don't eat. It's just how it, tough luck. Maybe it's just my growing up experience, or maybe that's just, 
an attitude I've picked up along the way. Uh, but the father doesn't do that. He doesn't say, just fine, sit out here and sulk. I don't care. If you want to be a baby, knock yourself out. No, just like the father runs to the son who was coming home, he runs to the field to the self-righteous boy, and he also compels him to come in. Come home. Come home. Verse 29. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. And never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me one young goat for, the, for a feast with my friends. And yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, and you celebrate by killing a fatted calf. Dad, I never left you. I've always did what you've asked, and this is how you thank me? While he was out there living it up, I was right here slaving for you. He literally uses that word. I was slaving for you. We allowed to be honest here? Yes, no? Do I have to pretend to be a good Christian has everything figured out? Or can I, can I be honest for a second? There are moments last year and a half. God, I did everything I thought you asked me to do. This is what I get in return? I thought we had a deal. I'll do my part. You'll show me love and favor. You'll make the path straight. You'll give me clarity for what I'm seeking. I'm on pastoral staff. I'm making huge sacrifices of my family to do what I think you want me to do. And this is not how I planned it going. You have people who aren't even trying and they are not experiencing the level of loss and disappointment that I am. What gives? What gives? Not happy. Quite frankly, I'm ticked off. I don't want it like this. You never gave me a goat. What? I never called you the goat? I never said you were the greatest of all time? Somebody, what are you talking about? Goat? Or you must have said boat. I understand you wanted a yacht. You didn't get the yacht. You thought you deserved the yacht. You said boat, right? And you said goat? Son, you know we're rich, right? We have plenty. Go get a goat. What do you, what do you complain? You have? You never gave me a goat to feast with my friends. But that's what we do in our self-righteousness. We create our own version of wins. It's never as good as the party that God's throwing. And he's speaking right to the religious here. They had rewrote the rules around their strengths. They declared themselves winners because it seemed like they were consistently coming out of head, ahead. They want Jesus to be impressed with their wins. And he's like, these systems of advantages and privileges that you've created, they aren't wins. So no, I'm not celebrating them with you. Today, we, we call it being blessed. 
And what we learn is there's two ways to be far from home. Rebellion takes all shapes and all forms. Some people, they rebel God with drugs, pornography, hatred, violence, and other people rebel God by redefining wins. And they use their Sunday school class. They use their committee at the church, their position at the church. They use their list of rules and attempt to hold God accountable to their system of wins and losses. The younger son says, Pop, I know more about you than sex, money, and power, and I'm going to go get what's mine. I know what makes me happy, so just get out of my way. And the older brother says, I'll keep your list of rules because I need you in my pocket, and if I do the work of obeying you, you'll owe me. And deep down inside, oftentimes I just wish I had younger brother energy. I just wish I had the nerve of him. Because ultimately what I want is still what the father can, can give me, not necessarily the father. The younger brother's willing to just say, I want these things. But I don't have the nerve to do that, so I do a workaround to try and get to the same ends. What can you give me? What's in it for me? And I thought I'd get more from you if I hung out here. And I deserve better from this. And oftentimes, this heart isn't exposed until a younger brother comes home. And grace is experienced. Now, mercy usually doesn't tick off older brothers as much. Okay, you're not going to punish them. Fine. But when grace kicks in and they start getting things that they didn't earn, and they start getting things that they don't deserve... Well, I have been working, and I do deserve them, and I'm not getting them. Why are they getting grace? And oftentimes, that part of our heart's not exposed until somebody else starts getting things that we don't think they deserve. And then it opens up a floodgate of emotions. And we start realizing we've been doing things for a lot of the wrong motives. We'll talk about morals and faith and then just behave ugly. I'm not friends with very many people here on Facebook, so I'm not talking about you, but whew, the last couple of years has been intense. And then it's not just people in the pews, it's denominational leaders from all denominations that are just, it's intense. And most of the times, our rules and codes aren't because we believe it's what's best for human flourishing, rather it's more our political persuasion and our desire to maintain power and control. More often than you want to admit. We're so self-confident in our method that we forget that what people really need is life-changing grace. Verse 31. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. It's already yours. It's yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. The older brother already has everything. He has the whole estate. He didn't earn it. He's going to inherit it. Yet he's unloving, unforgiving. So unlike the father in this moment. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says we're saved and we're changed by grace, there's no room for boasting. Why are you walking around thumping yourself on the chest? Just look at me. It's already yours. 
thing is yours. What are you doing? Luke is recording the story that Jesus is telling us of this incredible grace that's available. And he offers it to each one of us today. Gospel says, hey, tax collector. Hey, sinner. Hey, younger son. There's nothing that you can do or anything you've ever done that can make you unlovable or unwelcome to the table. There's nothing you can do to make you unloved. The gospel also says, hey, older brother, would you get in here? We're having a party and you're missing out. Don't be angry that someone else is getting a break. In fact, take some rest in that because there's nothing you could do to ever make God love you more. So stop thinking your acceptance is based on your track record. I love you too much to leave you out here thinking your religion is what makes you lovable. Just come in. Your pity party's not as good as a party I'm throwing. And maybe one of the things that makes the older brother a little jaded is something that Rich Velotis points out. It says, the prodigals didn't return because of a renewed love for the father. He returned out of survival. And that's okay. Just come home. It wasn't this new, renewed awakening. He didn't have this vision on the road to Damascus that just upset his whole life. He was sitting there with pigs, and he said, this stinks. The servants have it better. I'm going home. And that's okay. Just come home. The Father will take care of the rest. Now, there's only three options today. I'm either the younger son, the older son, or I'm a former younger, older son. I'm one of the three. And regardless of how you came in today, the news, it's the same. The Father loves you. The Father wants you. He's taken care of everything. He's made, he's set the table for you. It's already set. He'll literally take the guilt and the shame. He's done all the work. He has a feast set. He's calling you to take your place. And it's time to learn to live in the house again. And that might take some time. Feelings will come and go as you're trying to sit at the table and you'll have to wrestle with your guilt and your shame that the Father's trying to take, but we try to cling to it from time to time. May even wander again. But if I wander a thousand times, it's a thousand opportunities to come home to grace. Father's waiting. So I don't know where you are today. Are you the one who knows they're a mess and wonders if God will ever let you come back? Or are you the one that thinks, I'm pretty good. I deserve the blessings that I have. And quite frankly, I feel disrespected when God blesses somebody who doesn't think like me or doesn't believe like me or doesn't vote like me or doesn't go to the places I go or abstain from the places I abstain. They don't join me in my boycotts. Call's still the same. The table's set. Would you let it go? Would you let it go? Now, all of us, we need to strive to be the former of these two. We need to learn 
that call, would you rejoice with me? We need to learn to participate in the joy of heaven where we keep the party going and we have a wide open door for those who are struggling to come in. And that's actually a big portion of what I do with my work of Bridge of Hope. Uh, I train people of faith to throw really good parties for families who are struggling. Can you make mom and kiddos feel loved and seen? Can you throw just the grandest party? Julie's going to come up and sing here in a moment. But I want us to kind of find some space of quiet. Sometimes it takes me several really deep breaths. Do my little box count. Breathe in four seconds. Hold four seconds. Exhale four seconds. Hold four seconds. Quiet my spirit. To let all the racing thoughts and all the ideas that I have about how things should be kind of settle before I can hear the spirit speak. Whether you're an older brother or a younger brother, would you acknowledge that in the quietness of your soul, when you finally get it to quiet down, will you just acknowledge that he wants you home? I told you I've struggled with some of the same arguments that the older brother had. I've not gotten mad at God in a while, but I haven't learned to enjoy the party yet. That's my prayer today. How do I enjoy the presence? How do I sit at the table? I don't feel like he owes me a lot right now. Man, I'd love to have that joy back. You can start to write your apology speech in the quiet of your soul if you want to. But I think, Father, I want to come home is enough. Maybe writing your own prayers is difficult for you right now. I've been there too. And so maybe the words of the song will be your prayer. And you could just pray those. But for the next few moments, would you just let, I don't, not the Spirit, however the Spirit is speaking to you, would you receive it? i 
the start. Your son for redemption, the price for my heart. And I don't have a context for that kind of love. I don't understand. stand with me if you're able. I've tried to speak good news to you for the last little bit. I'm going to invite you to speak good news to each other, but also to receive good news from each other. So we'll do that. Would you just put your hands in a posture of receiving? I want you to speak this blessing over your neighbor, your friend, your child, your grandchild, whoever's sitting next to you, but also would you receive it from them as well? Say this, let's do this together. On your worst day, would you be reminded there is nothing you can do or have ever done to make our Father love you less? 
And that is good news. On your best day, when you have kept all the rules, be reminded there's nothing you need to do or could do to make him love you more. He just loves you because he does. And that's really good news. The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. That you may know and experience the rest of his welcome home embrace. Go in peace.